The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up all his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. Those are the first six verses of Psalm 97, which along with Psalm 46 are the psalms appointed for today, Thursday, January the 6th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. It's Epiphany. Um, which is the beginning of a different season. The 12 days of Christmas ended either today or yesterday, depending on how you count them. Um, there's a discrepancy between how those are counted. And that, so we're going to be in Isaiah 52, 7 to 10, the book of the Revelation, chapter 21, verses 22 to 27, and Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 14 to 21. So Epiphany is about the revelation of Jesus, right? So we would celebrate typically on, if we had a service, we would probably read the story of the Magi <coughs> coming because that's the revelation of Jesus to the world. You know, before that, there had been angels that appeared to the shepherds when at the birth. And so then what we do 12 days later, after the 12 days of Christmas, we begin to, to look at that revelation, and we, we continue in that season of time examining the revel- continuing revelation of Jesus in his life from the beginning, now, all the way up through um, the crucifixion. So we, we look at that during the season of Epiphany. And then we move into Lent as we begin to prepare ourselves um, for the cross. We begin to prepare ourselves for um, Easter as well. So here we are today in Isaiah 52, 7 to 10. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So the, the good news is your God reigns. The good news in Jesus Christ is the gospel that that he took on flesh, came to earth, was manifest before human beings, then was crucified on the cross and rose again the third day, and now is ascended to uh, the Father in heaven 40 days later. The Spirit was poured out 10 days after that, so 50 days after the resurrection, and then we look at, um, we, we begin to to see the the further revelation and the further good news in the church after the outpouring of the Spirit. So the good news is all those things. It includes that season after Pentecost as well, because it's the outpouring of the Spirit into the world, and, and that means that God is with us. If we are in Christ, then he is with us, he is in us, and he is also among us. So those things are all part of the good news. The good news didn't end with uh, the resurrection. It didn't end with the ascension. It didn't end with the outpouring. It's now to be the good news of God with us, and our God reigns in the church and his people. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And so it's a word that Isaiah is giving to an exile community, a community that has seen the destruction of Jerusalem. And so what he is 
saying is it may not look like it, but you can rejoice because God reigns. Because the, the, after the judgment, every moment after judgment, it, it's redemption, right? So that, that's the thing, is, is that they will come back to the land, is the promise. And in, in the case of what happened in AD 70, when the temple was destroyed, then off and on, but mostly off, they were out of the land until 1948, with the Balfour Declaration and the, the reestablishment of Zion. <clears throat> so there's always a redemption after judgment. And so we are looking for the coming of Christ. We're looking for a different coming than what happened the first time. We're looking for him to come in judgment. And there'll be no redemption for those in that, who, who fail to pass the test in that judgment. But we are looking for the coming of Christ because we want to see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see the establishment of God's peaceable and loving kingdom on the earth. So we are called to rejoice, even now in the midst of difficulty. And for the last almost two years now, horrific difficulty. There's been very little to rejoice about. And yet we as Christians are called to rejoice in this hour. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And why has he bared his arm? Well, it's to redeem his people. (laughs) This time it's to redeem them out of Babylon. Prior to that, it had been to redeem them out of Egypt. And then in Jesus, to redeem us from sin and death. We belong to another kingdom. And Paul is very clear that we had already died. We were dead in our trespasses. We were dead men and women walking. We didn't know it until everything was exposed to us. But the, but, but the reason to expose our sin, the reason to expose that death is so we can exalt Jesus higher and higher because he saved us from death to life. And so that's the reason that we can rejoice. And so that's what we're called to rejoice in. Now, while we may not see him in our eyes, then we, but we know in faith and in truth that that's exactly what we will receive. In the gospel, we see the Pharisees go out to conspire against Jesus, how to destroy him. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> he is indestructible, as we know. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And it's because his time had not yet come. And that's an important thing always for us to remember, that, that the time must be right, and it's always God's time. And many followed him when he withdrew, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. So what Isaiah is saying is is that, that God chose this servant, and it's his servant, his son, and and he is behold, beloved, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased, which is exactly what God actually said at the baptism. And then I'll put my spirit upon him, and he'll proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Now, how do we square that with Jesus' comments that he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel? Well, we square it really simply because after his um, 
resurrection and after the outpouring of the Spirit, then there was a move and a mission to the Gentiles. And in him, the Gentiles would hope. And on uh, Epiphany, what we celebrate, if we had a service, it would be different readings. And so what we would celebrate is the Magi coming to worship the King of the Jews, right? Because they, they saw the sign in the heavens that, it, that they knew from the Scriptures, the, the Hebrew Scriptures, that this would be the sign that they would look for. And that sign was this star in the heavens, or what we know is a confluence of planets and stars that overlap one another and create what looks like a gigantic star. So they were looking for that sign. The Jews were not. They were not astrological observers at the same level the Magi were, but the Magi come from Babylon. They're Gentiles. They would have been the descendants of the Chaldeans who... Bacon, Daniel say, it's an odd metaphor for a Jewish guy, but anyway, the, <laughs> Daniel would be the Jewish guy, not John Green. Um, the, the, he saved them from death because Nebuchadnezzar had said, if you can't tell me my dream and its interpretation, then you will all be put to death, all the Chaldeans and the diviners. And Daniel stepped up and said, I think I could probably do that. And so that's exactly what who these people are. They are the descendants of those people, and they saw something in Daniel that they didn't have. And so there was a wisdom that they wanted to have that Daniel had, and so they then said, okay, where does Daniel get his wisdom? Well, he gets it from this book. And so they began to study that, and so they come. So the Gentiles come to worship him. The odd thing is they couldn't get any Jewish people to go with them, because what they did was they went to Jerusalem and said, where's your king to be born? They didn't know. They were looking at astrological signs. They were not looking at all that other stuff. They were looking at the things that concerned them. And so they said, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. They said, well, we believe that he has. We've come over a thousand miles, and so we want to go pay homage to him. And they said, go for it. And nobody accompanied them. It's a very bizarre thing. The Jewish people didn't seem to care at all. Herod cared a lot. And so he killed all the Jewish children two years and younger because he heard about these magi and he was threatened by the idea that there would be another Jewish king. So everybody felt one one group felt threats. And Herod, remember, is a Jew, actually. So he feels threats. The Magi see that the Jewish king, the Messiah, has been born, and, and the Jewish people don't care. That same can be true in the church, to be perfectly honest with you. We can get so myopic about what we're looking for and what we want that we miss what he brings. And it's important that we set our hopes completely and entirely on him and in him in all things. It, it's something that we need to pay attention to. And I believe that, that if you read Scripture, if you begin to read it, including uh, the book of the Revelation, but many other places as well, including places where Jesus prophesies about the end times, he speaks about signs in the heavens. So we tend to look at the fulfillment of all these things that happen on the earth, and we tend not to be looking into the heavens. There was one of my heroes of all time is Johannes Kepler, who, who um, is the man who discovered the laws of planetary motion, that they move in elliptical orbits rather than circular orbits. And the reason that Kepler discovered that was because he believed that in the study of the heavens, he was looking at 
God's good creation, and he decided that there was much that he could learn from looking into the heavens about God. And so Kepler, all his scientific endeavors were geared towards one thing, thinking God's thoughts with him. That's exactly what he said his job was. He said, I'm just thinking God's thoughts after him. And so we, as Christians, need to be aware that signs in the heavens matter as well. God reveals himself in everything. They're all his handiwork, and all these things reveal things about him. I've read a lot more lately than I ever have and listened to a lot more podcasts and things lately that have to do with the signs in the heavens that Jesus promised and the signs in the heavens that we also see in the book of the Revelation. There's a guy named Michael Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R. He's a brilliant scholar. He's a PhD. Um, and, And he unpacks a lot of this information. I would highly recommend Heiser's um, YouTube channel, for instance, H-E-I-S-E-R, Michael Heiser. There's a lot there to recommend, and if you if you want to listen to somebody good and learn about some things um, that, that maybe you don't know, then he's a good place to turn. In the final passage today, we do have the Revelation, and, and John says, I saw no temple in the city. This is the heavenly Jerusalem that's come down to earth. No temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God and the Almighty, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. In other words, there's no need for a temple because God is present. And so it, it was the, the, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, was the Ark of the Covenant, but that's his footstool. His throne is in heaven, and his footstool was on the earth. And so in the the new heavens, or the new Jerusalem, there will be no need for that because God's throne will be there. His very presence and his glory will be there in the city. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of, the, of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. And that's always been the case. Because when Jesus comes to earth, he is, he says, the light of the world. And what that means is, is that Judaism considered the Torah to be the light of the world, that, that it's the light that enlightened man to understand the world and his place in it, and more than that, to understand the one who created all things, and to find their purpose then in the Word of God. And so it, it was the light of the world, and Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And so he is a different light than the sun, the moon, and the stars. He is that primordial light that, that when the Lord, the, when God first speaks, says, let there be light. So that light is Jesus. The light of the world is Jesus. <clears throat> By its light and will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, the city, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there'll be no night there, so they'll never be shut at all. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And that's the promise. The promise is that if we believe in Jesus, if we follow him, if we are disciples of his, and we are working at obeying all that he has commanded, then then we are in him, and we are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the, the moment in time, the supreme moment in time, to turn to him and thank him for all that he has done, for the knowledge that we have because of him, for the life that we have because of him. All things 
come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. And so when we see the nations returning glory to that, then that's exactly what we see is that the Gentiles are, are walking in the light of Jesus Christ. And so they bring their glory into that, not to add to the glory, but to add to his glory in all things. What a wonderful thing is the incarnation, and what a wonderful thing is the life of Jesus and the revelation of Jesus through his life.